Welcome back to another episode of Hold My Bread. It's me, your man, Elon Thrust, a.k.a. Ranch, because I be dressing in the studio with Joel, the hey, big dog. Hey, Wachowski. hey, <laughs> what's up, breadheads? Come on up, join the gluten gag. It's time to carbo-load. Welcome to Hold My Bread, the $1,250.12 That's profit. That's profit. Ching-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. And so that's a slot machine going. I can't uh, do it. Point six five. <laughs> we, we made We made $8 today. Not only that, we made point zero forty four cents my, in dividends that's so my we're favorite. doing good that's my favorite we have a guest in the studio uh we haven't had a guest on in a minute it's ha- we're happy to have you here yeah and this uh he is the host of a wonderful podcast i'm always so happy to go on it uh grubstakers say hello to sean mccarthy sean welcome hello thank you for having me good to be here on such a profitable podcast absolutely <laughs> you ever been on a podcast worth so much don't answer that <laughs> no, yeah <I'd- laughs> Yeah, no, Grubstakers, they, every week they examine a different billionaire right. and they d- dig deep into their, their backstory. You, you guys are almost there. We're going to have to do an episode <laughs> yeah. on you soon. <laughs> Digging up all the dirt on yeah. the Hold My Bread podcast because they hit a billion. Yeah, that's right. Hey, oh, can you imagine? If, if, <laughs> if this, at this rate, we only have to do 12,000 more episodes. <laughs> Yeah, that's our goal. Our goal for the podcast is we haven't launched our Patreon yet, but it's coming. But our goal for the podcast is we're going to start a Patreon. We're going to take that money. We're going to invest that money into the market. Make money. Once we hit a million dollars, we throw a big party. You invest. You put money in the Patreon. You can come. How hard do you think that'll be to do? Not that hard, no. <laughs> no, really? No. Wow. We were actually thinking the other day, like, the smartest way to do a Patreon would be to do it as a pyramid scheme, where you tell your patrons <laughs> if they recruit other people into your Patreon, they get a cut of your Patreon, and then they get a cut of everyone who they recruit who recruits other people's Patreons, and you just go all the way down, and, like, eventually you don't even have to make a podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> My God. That's, like, next level. Well, we were wondering if it was illegal for us to even do what we were trying, what we're trying to do. Yeah, no, um, our our portfolio is actually a piece of performance art. We yeah. just want to arrange the stocks and the words in such a way that it's visually beautiful to us. Uh-huh. Occasionally on, like, finance podcasts, I'll hear people say, you know, I am not a licensed uh, financial expert or whatever. This is just opinion or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know if they have to. they're doing that to legally indemnify themselves. Yeah, yeah, we don't state that because by listening, people will kind of figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you hear us talk for COVID minutes, and uh, you, that's just the legal disclaimer all you, you know, that's what you need. And just a caveat before we get into it, Matt, I know last week we talked about my borderline terrorist entries to the Heinz tomato ketchup yeah. commercial contest. Yeah, that's true. As of today, next week, I will be production designing a commercial for Heinz tomato <laughs> ketchup. Well, you know, manifest what you want. You've done it. We've did it. We, I've fully sold out. I've come full circle. Now, let's kick up our feet and talk about the market. Yes. How's it going? So, um, this week, we... We started this podcast 12 episodes ago. Every week we try and learn a little bit, either having on a Wall Street expert, or sometimes we will look up a term or an idea that is pretty intriguing to us. And just Mm -hmm. um, 
reading up on investing stuff, like, I don't know about you, but I always come across this word Vanguard. Yeah. I didn't realize what it was until recently. I Like you said, it, it pops up everywhere, but I never really understood what it was. Or I thought it was like a... Uh, I don't really know what I thought it was actually. I it just it's it's so we decided to do an episode on it. Yeah, now you see the advertisement, you see them referred to as an industry standard, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I figured these are some pretty evil guys. So I reached out to Sean because you find out what billionaires did wrong. Right. Yes. No, it is interesting doing a Vanguard episode because you know the founder he died, John Bogle, um, and just compared to mo- every single finance person I have researched for my podcast actually not that evil yeah. like <laughs> yeah like i i was really excited going into the weekend it's like i'm gonna look up i'm gonna find these guys misdeeds but they are a pretty heroic wonderful organization yeah, it's pretty squeaky clean i tried to dig up some uh, stuff and see if i could find because you are very pro and uh, so i was like well i'll just take the anti and it was really difficult to find anything um and we'll get into it later but it was very hard for me to find anything that they had done really wrong yeah and i guess the general idea behind vanguard is this guy vote bo- Bogle, you can't get that wrong. Head People the, like him. Yeah, don't call him Bogle. <laughs> don't. Yeah, they get the words all jumbled. You make it Bogle. <laughs> <laughs> Opposite of Piggy Hill's favorite board game. <laughs> should, the Bogle Tramp. Yeah, so he he wrote this like really wonderful thesis in college. He got fu- hired by an investment work firm, and his idea was that a mutual fund should just be the fund it shouldn't be the company so when you hear vanguard that's what it is the vanguard is like by putting in you are a part of it there's not the corporate structure of a lot of other places you're part of the company or even though they're the company that's not a company yeah it charges less it's far less opulent than most operations like you you go to you go down to wall street you see the firms you see the headquarters they have a pretty drab campus outside philadelphia hmm. so is there a vanguard building like, I mean, I guess there has to be something, right? It's just a little campus, neon lighting. It They've got a couple. Um, the biggest quibble with the the headquarters is that it's boat-themed. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I hate to you hate to see it. Yeah, everything is set up to look like a boat. Uh, the The dining room is the galley. When you're hired, you're, you come aboard. So when, when they fire you, you walk the plank. Yeah, yeah. everybody has limes in their mouths. And <laughs> <laughs> scurvy kills half the staff every year. Yeah. There's a monkey that plays the, uh, it, the, 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 the accordion. And it is the financial firm with the most Somali employees. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when you get a promotion, you get to say, I'm the captain now. Yeah, mm. you are the CEO now. That is what they do. <laughs> I'm the CEO now. This is my ship. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed that. Hmm. Um, all right. Well, so, um, you, and then I, in my reading, they are, uh, they're in charge of like trillions of dollars. Trillions, trillions. of dollars. And you hear what, like, a, the, the barometer of having a portfolio is outperforming an index fund. In, they are index funds. They uh-huh. basically take up the entire market. People are seeing their retirements. There's, like, an online group of devotees to it. So there's since 2016, they've taken over this entire, like, sector. They don't even have a competitor at this point. Well, and I, the thing, one of the things I was, when I was trying to find some negative things, and they've, they have found a way um, to avoid paying tax on a lot of their trades. And they did it in a way that they can do it legally. It's patented, and the patent is until like 2023, so nobody can even copy what they're doing hmm. for uh, a while because they've figured this out. I mean, they're, on an, they're literally on another level. 
Right. Well, there's been an entire shift towards financialization and, you know, um, lower cap rates on or lower tax rates on uh, what are capital gains as opposed to wages. So, you know, that's kind of what all the hedge fund and private equity uh, owners uh, exploit in the carried interest loophole is that they say, okay, so capital gains are charged at something like half the actual tax rate as wages. So they say, all of my wages and everything I earn working at my hedge fund or my private equity, well, that's all actually capital gains. That's all an investment. You know, even if it's a salary, they just make it look like, you know, capital gains. And so they pay. And that's why you get the situation where, you know, Warren Buffett pays a lower tax rate than his secretary. Capital gains would also be a great name for a rapper from Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's up? Capital gains in the house. Um, I'm gonna be fine. I just had this pulled up. I was gonna. Re- it's called. They have a name for it. It's called like a heartbeat, heartbeat trade or something. Uh, it's very. It's in- when you short a medical company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very funny. They said that though we agree Vanguard funds have been extremely tax efficient. We're like we can all agree that we're very tax efficient. Uh, no one can dispute that fact. <laughs> yeah, right. you find a loophole. That is what. Gives you efficiency. They're basically the Billy Bean of investing. What is Billy Bean? He's the manager. You've never seen Moneyball? No. He's the manager of the Oakland A's. He's a GM of the Oakland A's who decided walks were as important as hits. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, they, yeah, you're getting on base. You're fine. You're in the game. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there, I guess, right? Yeah, mm. and this is, and like Vanguard is kind of antithetical to a lot of financial institutions because a lot of financial firms, they go public, they create an IPO, and shares can be bought and sold in that company. Vanguard is still like completely private as an offshoot of their consumers' funds. Right. I mean, I, I think that's what's interesting about Vanguard is uh, any of, well, I should say any, but most of what you could describe as evil within it is just a product of the wider system that it exists around. And something we could talk about is, you know, the transition from defined benefit pensions to, in since the 80s, workers have all had to go into 401ks and had to do their own investing. Whereas, like, it peaks something like 80, 88 percent. I have the statistic here, but... Uh, the vast majority of American workers had, this is your defined benefit pension. You know you're going to get this X amount when you retire. Mm -hmm. And since that time, you know, like definitely less than half of workers still rely on that. So they get forced into uh, Vanguard, which uh, treats them much more fairly than most other investment firms. So, you know, it's just kind of uh, his fortune was built because of a transition in the American economy. Yeah, workers being treated worse by companies. Because I, do you guys know anyone with a pension these days? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm few. friends with a bunch of losers, so no. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anyone with benefits, but it's really kind of, we're probably going to get Social Security taken away by the time we're of age. I, I, bet, right. I, I bet I could count my friends that have health insurance on my fingers. You don't have any fingers anymore. You don't have, <laughs> I mean, I don't have insurance. Shirt. That's why I can do it. I just have two thumbs. <laughs> yeah, two friends. Yeah. If one of if you meet another wealthy person, you got to grow a finger. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, that stack because I have it here. The Center for Retirement Research in 2007 said that at peak, 88 percent of private sector workers in the United States had a defined benefit pension. I think this was early 80s. Uh, whereas in 2007, it's down to 33 percent have a defined benefit pension. Yeah, and that's why people are just pouring their money into a company, into Vanguard. Like, yeah, over the last three years, they have $823 billion in investments. <laughs> Can we really trust the Center for Retirement Research? That sounds like a made-up thing. Yeah, Just uh, a bunch of guys lounging around in, in hammocks being like, yep, this seems like it would be pretty good to do when you retire. Yeah, they're a biased source. Yeah, <laughs> Can we get some anti-retirement statistics yeah, on this? Yeah, exactly, you know? Retirement, get out of here. You die in, you die at your job. I, I like just I'm, have, 
I just imagine a rat entering a maze and he gets out on the other side in Florida. <laughs> he, he comes out with a coconut and a, and a, and a, and a uh, what's it called? One of those fucking fat people shirts. Yeah, uh, according to our studies, we recommend uh, listening to Jimmy Buffett and not talking to your son. <laughs> uh, what's up, parrot head? I can't stop saying it. What's up, my parrot head? Yeah, we joke around, but we are fully on our own, and there is no safety net. Yeah. If you break your leg, you will die in a box. Uh-huh, yeah. If I get hurt enough, I'm just going to have to let them kill me. Be like, I can't afford to stay alive, so just let's wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, you need to make enough to be a viable human being now to put money into a place like Vanguard where these companies that take care of it. And among this sector, Vanguard, they take less fees. They're a lot more consumer-friendly. And that's why you see like people really become practitioners of this guy yeah but like our system does incentivize you to be nice to everybody you meet because you never know when you need to hit them up for your cancer GoFundMe. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to make a lot of friends and be popular so that you don't have to die and you, you want to make sure that your GoFundMe is likable and you come off charming it needs to be unique <laughs> that's why social media is so important people are like likes 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 right. likes are important i need to know how many people i can potentially reach out to yeah like i remember back in the day um my my good friend Ron Krasnow, he Ron. he loved Brooklyn Ron. He's a great leftist online. <laughs> uh, he he had cancer, and I set up the GoFundMe. I did a like a fundraiser for him. We raised seven thousand dollars, and then Eric Bergstrom got cancer. He raised like fifty thousand right. yeah. dollars. You could totally tell like who's it's a popularity contest one hundred percent. Yeah, I don't have any credits. I'm gonna be screwed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> luck, luckily Eric's got some great one-liners. So like, if you really want to have health insurance, like run a great bar show in Bushwick. Right. <laughs> we, we really did set up like a kind of interesting Darwinist like survival of the most viral videos about your illness uh, system. Well, that's true because what it used to, I mean, surviving used to be like, are you strong enough to, or fast enough? Are you smart enough to provide for yourself? Now right. it's just like, can you make yourself a commodity? Can you sell yourself <laughs> to these people that they can con- convince these people that you deserve to live? <laughs> yeah, can you get 10,000 retweets? Yeah, and the, the paradigm kind of shifted around like the 2008 financial crisis. And then if you had the foresight to actually trust the market and give it back to a financial institution, you'd be doing pretty well right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it is interesting. So, uh, like, another thing with Vanguard is, you know, Warren Buffett, who I think is a, a bad person for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but, uh, Have you done uh, him on your podcast? Uh, we did do an episode about Warren Buffett. He was probably yeah. the first episode. It was or... one of the earlier ones, yeah. i got to check him out. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I, I, like, I don't think he's a good person, but I don't think anybody can deny he's a good investor. Mm-hmm. And he actually was a, a, a friend of John Bogle, and uh, he talked about, well, a couple different things that I think are true. He said... Um, Wall Street primarily doesn't sell investments, they just sell themselves, you know, so they convince people to come in and then they charge them higher fees. And that's what Bogle's whole thing was, was reducing fees way below where they needed to be. And Warren Buffett's other challenge uh, was, he said, you pick any five hedge funds, any five you want at all, compare them to the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund over 10 years, uh, even before fees, the, uh, the Vanguard fund will beat that. And he actually put out this challenge, and various people picked any five, and there's, like, no five hedge funds that actually beat the Vanguard S&P 500 over 10 years. So it's like when people say you can't beat the market, that this is also another example of you can't beat the Vanguard. Right. Like, And so, you know, something I can talk about is just doing the podcast. I do know that there are hedge funds, like uh, SAC Capital was Stephen Cohen's hedge fund, which was eventually... 
shut down and renamed because of a massive insider trading investigation. But SAC Capital did manage to beat the S&P 500 over 20 years. It just did so through endemic illegal insider trading. Right. Um, and then, you know, there's some private equity strategies and, and you know, like a lot of uh, private equity or hedge fund guys will get a hot hand where they'll, you know, d- post 20% or whatever returns for three or four years. It's just in the long run, nobody, unless they're doing something, unless they have, let's say, government competitive advantage or they're doing something uh, with insider collusion, nobody can beat, you know, an index fund over like 10 years. There's no way to do it without an edge. Right. But also with Vanguard... And most of those edges are illegal. With Vanguard being this size, it's no different than like you're playing poker with your friends and you get a lot of chips. Man, I know this doesn't this part doesn't apply to you. <laughs> hey, I just I get a lot of chips. I just don't keep them. But when you have that kind of financial leverage, you can manipulate the markets and other participants in it to do your favor, more or less. Right. So Vanguard being of this scale, they're also given ability to buy in at IPOs at lesser prices than the daily consumer. Mm-hmm. Like, I know when we were hot on Beyond Burger, we thought it was going to open around $21 a share. Uh So even back a couple months before it IPO'd, we were seeing that it was sold for like $16 to major financial institutions such as Vanguard. And we only got the ability to buy it at $42. Right. So that's $26 a profit per share that they're getting locked in as a major institution. Hmm. How do you get hired at Vanguard? I think you got to be a boring person who lives in rural Pennsylvania, and you're in. That's it. I think you could start by going to Bogleheads.org. There's yeah. a lot of great. That's a website. Yeah, that is his. People the message. love Bogle. People love Bogle, but like, when did it, he? When did he die? He died just a few years ago. Uh, so if you go to like the Wikipedia of every billionaire, it, next to their like name or their job would be like philanthropist. Uh-huh. I think Bogle's one of the few people where it does apply that he is actually a philanthropist. Mm. So given like all this holdings, he started this firm. He never took the cut that other executives do. He ended his life with like $80 million. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, you could do that just by marrying correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he made and he made he made people more money than he had. Absolutely, but he kind of adhered to his principles the entire time, which is why people go to bogleheads.org when they need to find out what what to do when a tree grows into their sewer. I'm just imagining they interview you for Vanguard and they ask you a bunch of portfolio questions and they end it by going, "All right, well, let's see your sea legs." <laughs> <laughs> Do you get seasick? Unfortunately, yes. Well, then it's a no. Yeah, like, all right, well, let's just ask the parrot on my shoulder whether or not you have a future here. <laughs> uh, yeah, before you, like, invest, we're going to take some Dramamine. You'll be fine. So they, they, they do investing different than a lot of companies, though. A lot of the companies will invest in the volatility. They'll buy low. They'll sell high. That isn't the idea with, with Vanguard. Vanguard is a passive investor. So what they do, they kind of do exactly what we do on this podcast, actually. They go to Leif's house. <laughs> <laughs> they drink some of his cold coffee. And um, basically, they just find companies or sectors they like. They hold them over an extended period of time. Yeah. That's cool. That's what we do. We, you know, we invest with our heart. Right. And, you know, they have, like, <laughs> the way you're supposed to. <laughs> And, like, Bogle was one of the first people to, I guess, innovate the index fund or even, like, come up with the concept and popularize it. I I know some other economists, I think, came up with it first, but he was the guy who really popularized it. Um, And it is interesting where, you know, if you buy an S&P 500 index fund, 
well, your performance is just going to be the performance of the uh, 500 stocks on the S&P 500, but they also do like, you know, mid cap index funds or small cap index funds. So you can focus it more broadly. But it is just, you know, what we've seen with uh, an S&P 500 index fund is on average over the long run, you're going to be returned about 8% a year on average. And then, like we said earlier, especially when you X out the, uh, you know, 2 and 20 and other fees that a hedge fund will, will charge you, uh, your, that 8% a year is going to add up to more than what these other investments can offer. Yeah, it's compounded over time. And if you look at the stock charts of a company that makes it, like if Vanguard has been around from the mid-70s, if they're just investing in solid local companies that hit the marketplace, that means you're getting McDonald's at a dollar a share mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You're getting three to 400 times profit on your entire investment. So, yeah, it's almost good not to have a retirement. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what I always tell people is, uh, first I say, legally, I have no license to offer investment advice, and this indemnifies me against any consequences. But if you're going to invest, uh, I would probably tell people to just put your money in an S&P 500 index fund unless you have some sort of edge that the rest of the market doesn't. Yeah, but the edge is listening to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we're the edge. If you listen to this podcast... Hey, if you were to listen to us, you would be up 8% since September, so that's pretty good. <laughs> that's I, not bad. This podcast right. ends with the final episode is us moving to Philadelphia, going to Vanguard, putting on our sailor suits, and heading to our first yeah. day of work. You should either buy an S&P 500 index fund, or you should buy the new OneCoin cryptocurrency from me directly. <laughs> And that will have over 200% returns annual. And honestly, it's the Christmas season. If we're going to do a little bit of investing, a little like blue collar, make a little money down the line, buy Lego. Mm. Those sets, you sit on them for a few years, they're the new sneakers. Hey, you know, I'm getting Lego. uh, I asked for a Lego uh, shoe. I got Mm. a Lego shoe. You don't wear it. You build it. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Pretty cool. So you sit on that. Yeah. Um, I like it. I mean, you know, I got an old... I'm down to make some money in other ways. I got a bunch of... Uh, you know, go through. Go home. When was the last time you went home to your... Do you still have stuff at your mom's house? Yeah. I, she wants st- to throw it out. I won't get rid of it. But do you she- have stuff at your... Uh, do you have stuff? Yeah, any, I got some stuff at my yeah, parents' yeah. house. Yeah. yeah. I'm always curious to what... Because it's like I got old toys from the 90s. I got like old Pokemon cards. Somebody's mm. going to want those. Yeah. And I remember when it, being like four years old and my mom bought a box of bunch of boxes of Urkelos and put them in our attic. <laughs> and she's like, uh, yeah, well, this is going to make me a lot of money someday. And even like being like a kid, I was saying like, we ain't making nothing on this. Does she still have them? No way. We She cut her bait around 2004. <laughs> Too soon. If she just held on, it would have kept appreciating in value. I have a stack. Like, I'm not exaggerating. I probably have over 3,000 like hockey, football, baseball cards and my only hope is there's one in there that's worth a lot of money, and I don't think there is. No way! You were putting them in your bike. You were chewing no, up. The no, no, no! They're all good. They're in a box. They're safe. They're mint. Dude, collecting cards as a kid was the the greatest Dude, thing it was ever. So cool! I have so many. I have like a ton of Magic the Gathering cards, and like I actually because I, I do have some at my parents' house, and I'll go through sometimes, and then suddenly if I'm like, oh, this is worth fifty dollars, but like if you actually like calculated it out it'd be like i'm making 10 cents an hour going through these giant piles but with magic cards it's fun for me but i guess like going through sports cards i don't know if that's fun or not for you that's the thing i don't know anything about what would be worth anything but i have so many i have so many 
Yeah, sell them on eBay. Someone will take them. Go, go to a card show. You'll meet some interesting people there. <laughs> but I don't know what's worth anything, and so I'm just going to get taken for a ride. Actually, though, that's uh, the strategy I learned from Magic the Gathering is you go to, um, uh, if you go to a Magic the Gathering tournament or convention or whatever, they'll have you know dealer tables all over the, the room. So what you do is you get a list of your cards, and then you go to the first place and you get a list. Uh, you write up what they'll give you for each card. Then you go to the next place, you write up what they'll give you for each card. And you can do that, you know, just spend a few hours, like compare five different dealers, see what yeah. everyone offers you for each card. You can get the best price on it. Hey, that's a great idea. Mm. What's, but, what's yeah. the most valuable magic card in the world? The most valuable is Black Lotus. Uh, it's... I think last I checked, it was at like thirty grand. It might <gasps> be more now, though. My God! Yeah, we could we could buy. We will sell all our stock. We'll buy two black lotus <laughs> matches. <laughs> yeah, My absolutely. God. Sixty thousand dollars. Uh, yeah, we are the $1,000 in a Magic Card podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All our money's tied up in a Magic Card right now. I was thinking, like, if I was if I were to make any Vanity Rich purchase, it would just be, like, what are called the Power Nine or the nine most Ooh, rare what Magic are the, what Cards. What are the Power Nine? Uh, I can't remember all of them, but it's, like, uh, Black Lotus, Mox Diamond, Mox Emerald, Mox Pearl, uh, blah, 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 uh, Time Walk, uh, a couple others. Uh, but, you know, like, those are the most valuable... Yeah, so an Alpha Black Lotus is on eBay used for $28,000. Used? Used. So that means it's it's played in-game? It's got Cheeto dust on it. Yeah. Are these even, like, effective magic cards? Uh, They are actually quite good. They're uh, very rarely used. Uh, Like, there's only, there's a certain format. You think they would be the most (laughs) effective cards? They are, like, some of the most powerful cards in the game. They're just banned in, like, almost every uh, (laughs) style of magic, except for one style. (laughs) Banned. Yeah, where you're allowed to play with, like, one of each of them in in vintage tournaments. You can build decks with one of each of them. So you can watch these online where people come with, like, you know, $100,000 decks and play against each other. That'd be so sick, just flexing. At a magic card tournament. People do it. It'd be the equivalent to like Ken Caminiti in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that is. He's the guy who did so many steroids, he won the MVP and didn't live 10 years past retirement. Hey, that's. As a, a baseball player. Hey, that's not bad. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you live through a baseball career, how boring can the afterlife be? <laughs> <laughs> not checking the pitch at all. Well, you know. Now that we've, uh, we're gonna. I, I'm just stuck on this magic card thing. It's really. interesting. That's my main hobby. Are there, uh, are there magic card like shows? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember being a kid going to like a sports card show. I'd get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to sign my card. Is there like a dragon you can have sign your magic <laughs> card? <laughs> Are you the Shivan Dragon? I've been following you since I was a kid. I'm your. I have your rookie card when you were just an egg. Yeah. No, uh, so mainly like at uh, magic tournaments, they'll have sometimes they'll have the artists come in and they'll sign cards or oh, even hell do yeah. custom prints. In um, this company, they let the artists get like a little bit of the gl- glamour of their work. Yeah, um, like uh, there are various disputes um, as to how well uh, the company Wizards of the Coast treats the artists, and some of them don't actually travel to shows anymore because they can't make enough money. They say, and, and you know all this stuff, but. Uh, uh, I've I've met a, a number of them. They're very cool people. Absolutely. Well, plane, plane tickets are expensive these days. 
Yeah, but you can make your money. Like, is, Magic's kind of a downturn, well, right? There's not enough nostalgia right now because Pokemon's really having a moment. I imagine that's the biggest competition. It is like, so what they'll make most of their money on is like custom prints or, you know, selling their prints or custom like uh, redesigns of cards. You know, they can charge a lot for that. But also just people will bring their cards and be like, hey, can you sign it? And then they'll have a suggested tip. And some people are just dicks where they're like, yeah, sign 50 cards and I'm not going to tip you anything. Bye. Holy crap. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so seeing that we've structured our fund similarly to the most successful financial institution in the world, Mm -hmm. I think we might have big (laughs) magic card money. Magic cards, that's like cryptocurrency of the past. Yeah, Mm. let's go in. We won't even know the field, but we'll have spent $200,000 on our deck. We'll roll up in a limo, have girls all over us. (laughs) Martin Shkreli tweeted about buying a Black Lotus once. Just like out of nowhere, he had no idea what magic cards were, but he started tweeting about buying them up. That's our boy. He's supposed to respond to our letter. Yeah, we wrote him him a letter a couple episodes back on the podcast. And, like, the thing is, like, some of the magic dealers, and I'm sorry you got me on a tangent on this, but some of the the magic dealers... uh, they do essentially engage in these various Wall Street practices where you will have companies like Star City Games where, you know, I talked about the Power 9, but there's also other uh, rare cards like Rare Lands, Dual Lands, uh, because they are like one of the biggest suppliers of Magic the Gathering. Um, they can stock up and control market prices where like Wizards, yeah. Wizards has policies that they won't reprint any of these Power 9 and a lot of these other older cards. So the big dealers... Uh, you know, first of all, they collude to just buy them up and drive up the prices because they can set the price, you know. Right. They, they probably get a little kickback th- from Wizards. They literally right. hold all the cards. <laughs> well, and then that's the other thing is, you know, Wizards will create, like, new formats and then say, like, hey, cards from this set to this set are legal. And a weird thing will happen is, like, right before Wizards makes that announcement, the big dealers will buy up all of these newly valuable cards that are going to be good in this set. So it's, like, clearly they're getting a tip-off from that's someone inside- in Wizards. That's insider trade. Yes, I mean it is literally insider trading with a fucking children's card game. Yeah, and they also one of the best named companies of all time. Because like while you were going over that point, I was like, man, is he talking about actual wizards? <laughs> and that is all I can picture. All I can just picture wizards fighting. I'm like, yeah, this yeah. is this is fun. Like a CEO in a big pointy hat. Yeah, in a tower. Yeah, you CEOs usually only wear big pointy hats when they belong to the clan. <laughs> yeah, the CEO of the clan, the hey. worst. One of my least favorite companies. I'll go on record for it. Yeah. Well. So, so we we are a little bit more pro Shkreli than most. Are you are you a member of our fan club? I think Shkreli was kind of a fall guy for an entire industry. Uh huh. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're talking our language now. Yeah. I mean, like what what he was doing, you know, with driving up the price of that HIV drug. Everyone like, everyone everybody does that. does that. Yeah. You know, so he's just the guy who became the public face of it and went to jail. And then it's like you know it still happens all the time. Or you have like a bunch of other respected investors like. Bill uh, Bill Ackman is um, uh, another hedge fund guy, and he was uh, working with, I think it was called Valiant Pharmaceutical, to drive up the price of a different drug. They ran into financial troubles for other reasons, but he's, you know, a respected investor. He was doing the exact same thing as Shkreli, and you could find a hundred other examples. Yeah, he just didn't lean into it. Like, Shkreli, really, he just enjoyed being a public figure so much, mm-hmm. he leaned into the heel turn. Exactly. Like, him talking about buying a Black Lotus is the same as just, like, flaunting his wealth to the populace and it's you know it's scapegoat mechanism where these people who just you know keep quiet they get to do this very evil thing but because shkreli went to jail the public thinks oh this problem's been fixed right right, exactly it's probably worse than it's ever been yeah 
Absolutely. Which, yeah, think. they're getting their last profits in before the U.S. Medicare industry is <laughs> overhauled once and for all. And, like, we're no different. Like, we've made our money on the podcast with Amarin, a byproduct of Vesipa. I mean, yeah, we, we're big believers in investing in Well, we say it all the time on the podcast. People are only going to get sicker. People aren't getting healthier. But I mean, we know this because they're hiring sales reps. They're, they're being acquired by Pfizer, potentially. And Lipitor is no longer working as effectively as it once was. So mm-hmm. we know it's just going to be kind of a false promise of health to a vulnerable po- populace, which is why it's good to put your money on right now before December 27th. Amarin. <laughs> yeah. So we're no different than those slimy magic card dealers. We mm. use these principles from Wall Street that to make our own profit. True. I do wish. Like, I do think of myself as a bit of a wizard, you know? <laughs> I wish as a kid I would have been able to draw the connection with, like, pornography everywhere and, like, I should invest in dick pills. (laughs) This is going to be an issue in 20 years for half the men around. Well, all those companies... I think I think dick pills are private sector, you know. I, I if Blue small, Chew, small cap dick pill stocks. Yeah, Blue Chew going public and Cumtown ringing the bell <laughs> with 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 Stavros's dick. Yeah, beautiful. Hello, Vanguard. How do I get in the dick pill index fund? <laughs> the DTF? Huh? Come on. And that's the trouble with using these using a big fund like this. I use a big fund like this for my personal investment. I use Wealthfront. Mm-hmm. They use an algorithm. They spread my money across six different markets. Emerging markets, natural resources, and I didn't realize what emerging markets was when I started investing. That's some real evil shit right there. <laughs> what is this? Yeah, emerging markets is like you're built, you're bringing electricity to. Oh, to like third. You're getting countries. private funding to build a power plant, and then you're taking over the power plant needs of a sector of India, and you're gouging them on prices. Oh yeah, that's. Yeah. yeah, if you're listening, like, don't sell your emerging market funds just because the uh, uh, local politician there nationalizes the copper. The CIA is going to whack him, and you know, you just got to you got to be long with those kinds of investments. Just write it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like these kind of emerging markets are the backbone of like a lot of Fortune 500 companies. It's what Enron did when they were at their most profitable with natural gas. Just swooped in and took over like a small community. Oh, all over the world. Not even in t- small communities. They took over entire regions of England and India with, like, billion-dollar un- enterprises, and they they could do it. Damn. And that's what we have to do. We need to do that with oat milk. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I tried to order oat milk. I was in uh, I was doing shows in West Virginia. I tried to order oat milk. And oh, they, that was and, your first mistake. And they looked at me like I was insane. Hmm. I haven't looked into it, but I'm sure the supply chain in oat milk is horrific. Well, it's, oh. a, it's a Swedish company, and the, Scandinavia has pretty nice corporate structure. Everyone's taking care of it at IKEA. We actually just did an IKEA episode. It's our most recent. Um, so they are heavily involved in mass deforestation in <laughs> Romania, um, uh, Russia, China. The places They're... you would expect to grow the cheapest wood imaginable. <laughs> so that's where all that shit wood comes from, huh? Right. Yeah, they, they just have all the Chernobyl zone wood that they use yeah. to make your end table. <laughs> yeah, the light bulbs are just <laughs> glowing radiation. Yeah, but when, the, when I was a mover for many years... All, all the biggest joke in the moving truck was like, yeah, IKEA, it's disposable furniture. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, that's, you know, uh, that's the thing that we talked about in the episode is, you know, Ikea markets itself as such an environmentally friendly company. But what's really changed is people used to buy furniture and then just keep it their entire lives. But now Ikea shit, like technically it uses a little bit of less wood, but it also makes it, you know, less durable. So people just throw it out and end up using more wood. Oh, is it made like with specifically less dense wood than? Yeah. Like, I mean, it depends on the thing, but a a lot of things they'll argue that, you know, because they switch to, um, uh, I don't know what it's called, uh, poster board wood or uh, uh yeah i don't know, I know the, exact term. Yeah. the cheap <laughs> shit yeah because they say they use less wood so that's more environmentally sustainable but you know it's less durable and also their fucking dressers killed a bunch of kids because they kept tipping over on them oh i did see that yeah yeah and um, in your view of the marketplace this is bad <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, does that hurt was, their bottom line yeah. is that what you're telling me it was a voluntary transaction between the parents uh for 50 million dollars for their toddlers i mean <laughs> ikea also sells anchors to attach your right. furniture to the wall oh vanguard would love those they yeah. love uh, an anchor they love an anchor yeah. work out in the ship shape room <laughs> ships ahoy <laughs> um damn i had something i was gonna say about ikea oh yeah well it's like we I was thinking about this the other day about how like one of the reasons we started this podcast is because the idea of like millennials and our generation is is not going to have maybe a retirement we're not going to we just talked about pensions and all that and uh inheritance and all that stuff it's like furniture was a thing that you would pass down it's like there would be like this mm-hmm. is the credenza uh, from the 1800s my grandfather's father made this uh, out of a log that was struck by lightning and he hit it up his ass for 30 days <laughs> and then he, now he made a credenza out of it and it's oak wood and it's beautiful and now like you said it's like you know take this yeah. is grandma's we're gonna throw out stuff out. it's all Ikea garbage right it's crazy yeah there's nothing worth making an heirloom for because there's no American manufacturing <laughs> prowess <laughs> Uh, yeah, you could take my Twitter account when I die. Yeah. Uh, here are the women I like replying to. <laughs> yeah, these are the DMs. These are my pickup lines. Yeah. Here's my Tinder account. I will I will will my my brethren uh my nudes. Hmm. Yeah. You can have my likes. <laughs> I'm passing my likes down to my son. <laughs> um, are you a WeWork fan? Uh I, I do respect like the blatancy of the scam. You gotta like, respect you the do. hustle. Exactly. Like if you look enough time at the market, like again, what really bothers me more are guys like Warren Buffett who are just like, Oh, I'm a humble guy when it's like, you know, I'm a humble, nice guy. You know, he can he controls the entire economy. Yeah, not and, the entire economy, and, but large sections of and it. And people are so simple. He just gives the appearance of, oh, I'm a Midwestern guy, and I wake up early every morning. Right. Meanwhile, he's the reason air travel in the country is a nightmare. Yep. And, you know, he's, like, got a bunch of different uh, kind of monopoly rackets where uh, David Dayan and others have reported on this. But anytime you buy a .com, I think he has he has some sort of deal with the government uh, through, I forget the name of the company that he owns, but anytime you buy a .com domain name, you kick up, like, I forget if it's 88 cents or something like that, directly to his company. And he's the only company that gets to do that. <laughs> so just every time somebody registers a website, he gets a taste of it, and that's how he makes his money, through these kind of weird monopolies that he's set up with uh, help from the government. That's one of the things that drives me crazy about him is because people talk about how it's like he people talk about like it's like the Jay Leno thing where like he only spends the money he makes off of stand up it's like people talk about Warren Buffett uh, that he like he's so good with his money and he does this this and this and it's like he's just scamming on another level well what what did Warren Buffett do to get such a proprietary relationship with the government 
Well, eventually you just get big enough. I mean, you know, it should be noted his dad was a four-term congressman, so he got, you know, to have his dad write on the congressional letterhead, hey, please allow my son into fucking Harvard or Yale or whichever one it was he went to. But it was, he went to one of those schools, and that's where he met his first connection to the financial world, and he went in with this guy, and he became, you know, a a very... uh, uh, an investor, a smart investor, through his relationship with this guy, but it's also, you know, most people don't have those fucking connections. They yeah. never get to meet the people who are actually already in the quarters of power. And as I, I start to understand money, I realize that when you get money, just any kind of mass, you can use it to perpetuate more income, mm-hmm. be it dividends, shrewd investments, interests. Mm-hmm. And when you reach a scale of a Warren Buffett or a Vanguard, it becomes kind of impossible to fail. Right. You just use your money to make more money, and you don't have to work. It just recycles itself. Yeah. If you have the currency to buy a new company as it enters the workplace, so sh- you'll it's a be done fine. Deal. It, will, it will exist in the economy, and it will go up. Of course, this is all built in smoke and mirrors, and people being mean about a Peloton com- commercial on Twitter will tank the stock price. But those are the rules we live in. Well, actually, even just tying it into, like, the subject of this episode, the Vanguard, what what always fascinates me is, you know, billionaire kids who are somehow dumb enough to lose the money. Because if you inherit, you know, X million or X billion dollars, you put it in a Vanguard or a, any index fund, you that money is increasing 8% a year. If that's a billion dollars, it's $80 million a year you're making for absolutely nothing. Uh, and so the people who actually manage to lose that money are very impressively stupid. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, they say the first million is the hardest because that's the only one you have to work for. Yeah, 100%. And At least I think about that. And that's, that's how my whole life is structured. Honestly, like five years ago, I started putting my extra money every month into a portfolio. That's the only way I will have a comfortable life. Yeah. And, like, anyone listening to this, I urge you to find a Vanguard or a Wealthfront, whatever company you think suits your needs, and put your money there every month. It adds up, and you can be the fuck-up billionaire eventually. If anybody cares, I looked it up. Uh, Buffett was, Warren Buffett was at Columbia. That's where he met his mentor, not oh. Harvard or Yale. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. we were going to have some critics coming after <laughs> yeah. you for that. Yeah, a lot of the Buffett heads are going to be upset. Yeah. Hey, the, the Bogleheads... They're cool. We got yeah. they do boglehead jamboroos. We got to go to one What's of those. What's a jamboroo? It's probably just a festival for people interested in investing. Wow, we got to infiltrate them, get them to be breadheads. Yeah, we yeah. would probably be the coolest people at a boglehead jamboroo. I mean, it's nothing eh. nothing too crazy there, but it does get eight percent more rowdy every year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of subdued, but over time, you know, it's a good party. Yeah, yeah. Ne- I hear next year's gonna be even better. <laughs> yeah, just keep coming back to the party every year. It will get good. I promise. Yeah, it can only we only grow. Well, one thing I'd like to do, they, there's a there's a rivalry between Bogleheads.org and Wall Street Bets, so we got to have on <laughs> oh, no. guests from them both. We're going to piss off our Wall Street Bets fans. <laughs> no, we got to do it. I'll post in Bogleheads, you'll post in Wall Street Bets. We'll have we'll have them out, and we'll see who comes out on top. Yeah. Did you guys discuss on the podcast the Wall Street Bets Robinhood app thing? Oh, we did. Yeah. We did talk about we that. Love it. We love it. We did like a bit of a deep dive on it. We shouted out the uh, actual users. <laughs> We it's like, so great. Yeah. And Robinhood has not fixed the flaw yet. Yeah, they don't know how to do it. Interesting. And of course, there is some debate on Wall Street bets over whether or not you can do it at other financial institutions. Hmm. There's been some screenshots of transactions, but there's debate over to whether or not they're photoshopped. My favorite stock market story 
is a Japanese um, uh, neat guy, you know, not in education, employment, or training. It was just lives at home, and he was trading stocks. Mm-hmm. So he found one day that he, when he woke up, uh, a company had um, mislabeled the price of their shares on offer. So he bought something like 10 or 20 million U.S. dollars worth of it. And then the company asked him politely to give it back, and he said no. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, please? Yeah, he just became a millionaire, but just day trading is a neat because he spotted this error and went all in on it. Wow. That's beautiful. We got to quit our jobs, become neats. What, what, what did neat stand for again? Uh, not in education, employment, or training. Oh, that's what I am. He's chilling. Yeah. That's what I am. That's what we are. You're a tour guide. I have two jobs. Yeah, right. Yeah, we're we're trained every week on the podcast. Yeah, that's true, I guess. It just sounds cooler than being a tour guide. (laughs) Yeah, so from this point forward, we're competing against Vanguard 8% a year. I think we can do it. Well, Hmm. well, we got 8% over the last couple months. (laughs) Yeah, we made $8 today. We are catching up. That's right. It is like kind of affirming to me because I've been getting shamed by people for not passive investing. They're like, you you don't pull your market out of the – you don't pull your money out of the market at the end of every day. It's like, no. It's like I don't want to think of – have this level of control over it. I just want to – Make my transaction, watch the company. That's the sports team I'd cheer for. Well, what I do think is interesting with investing, because we've talked about hedge, uh, on Grubstakers, we've talked about hedge fund guys like Eddie Lampert was the guy who ran Sears and Kmart into the ground. Um, uh, Dan Loeb is like an activist investor type. Uh, or uh, And even we talked yeah. about Dan Snyder running Six Flags into the ground. Right. But what I, I guess what is interesting about those, uh, those guys in particular is Dan Loeb and um, uh, uh, Eddie Lampert, I, I don't know exactly as much about Schneider. Well, no, he, he kind of did it a little differently. But Dan Loeb and Eddie Lampert, for a time, they were returning something like 20%. So, you know, in the 90s, it was like a boom market. So if you can just hit like three years of 20% returns, I think the scam is you set up a hedge fund then. Because if you can say, here's three years where I beat you know, Vanguard, you can get a bunch of rich people to dump their money in you. And because you get this 2 and 20 fee, it's like free money. Right. So, you know, if you're going to invest, I think that's the best. Well, I guess if you're going to try and scam people, in many ways, scamming rich people through hedge funds is kind of ethical in a sense. And, you know, this is a we're, we still have the training wheels on. What is a two and 20 fee? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, the uh, uh, typical hedge fund structure is that uh, they will get. If you put your money with a hedge fund, they will get a 2% fee of all money invested with them and 20% of all profits they make for you. Not even related to the returns? Uh, yes. Unre- totally unrelated to the that returns. That is a wow. scam. Why yeah. would you do that when Vanguard has basically no fees and it's scaling back? Right. In many ways, it's like... just taking advantage of rich people that have no idea. Right. Well, and that's the thing. The only way you can do this is if you can show I actually, even after fees, beat the S&P 500 index, which, again, nobody except for, you know, some people who are doing other kind of shady stuff, nobody can actually do it over a decade. But so, if you can do it over three years, you can get people to give you their so, money. So that's what we need to do, Joel. We need to leave cut this out. Uh, <laughs> we need to scam and cheat and commit crimes for 3 years, not get caught mm-hmm. and then fly the straight and narrow and yes. then we just point back to our criminal activity 
and then it's no, that's where we get their no money. It's no different than celebrity mm-hmm. culture right now. Like, you can go to a comedy club right now and see some sitcom bit player from the 90s. are like, oh, he was good once. Right. Yeah, true. Absolutely. And then they make, they rake in their money and, and that, that's then they why, hit the bricks. And that's why hedge funds, like, a lot of the managers lead with their personalities. They become personal brands because that perpetuates more business. Right. It's no different than a candy bar being in a more colorful wrapping. Right. Well, and even to go back to what Buffett said about Wall Street being more about sales than actually investing, like, if if you can show performance, it's more just, do you have the social skills uh, and the connections to meet rich people? Like, because, you know, obviously rich people have a lot of money, they want to invest it somewhere. If you can, like, uh, if you have connections, you know, either through friends or friends of friends or whatever, if you have actual connections where you can get in the room with them and say, hey, look at my performance. I'm going to be in a room full of billionaires on Saturday. (laughs) I am ready. (laughs) I bought a new suit. I've been fighting with my girlfriend a lot about going to this party, but I'm ready to put out the red carpet. Yeah, this is where you mix it up. That'd be great, though, because you talk about how you, like, made 1200 on the podcast, but you don't say it like that. You say, we have a... 200% 200% return on assets invested <laughs> yeah. in the park. We put $20, like, no, you don't say that part, but yeah. you say 200 you say the return Don't percentage. get bogged down in the numbers. Just give them the, <laughs> yeah, the just, meat. I just want to imagine just an actual, like, Wall Street investor, like, listen to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, you're, like, showing them the fucking performance spreadsheet with, like, the 1200 on it. It's like, so that's, that's million, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. million. Oh, how did that zero fall off? <laughs> A couple zeros fell off here. Oh. Yeah, I, I think My we'll, printer yeah, ran out of ink. Wow. We'll become more profitable as we scale. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We just need some more runway or whatever. Right. It's uh, a, a unicorn podcast. You're just trying to get the 80% market share of the investor podcast market. Yeah, we're the only podcast that will take your 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 money and invest it. Yeah. jwalkowski at gmail.com. Hit yeah. me up. Yeah, Venmo us. <laughs> um, uh, we, uh, we gotta get the Patreon set up. We gotta have the Patreon. I wanna get... Man, we, oh, yeah, we gotta ask Leif about that. Yeah. If you're if, you, if you're listening on iTunes, we're sorry. We've been trying to fix the podcast <laughs> our Yeah, I don't know how to do it. Six years. I've tried. We don't know how. I've tried so hard. I wrote a letter to Steve Jobs and and, uh, you know, so far, the only thing that's happened is I've returned an Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> I made a, uh, I attached a letter to a kite and tried to fly it to Steve Wozniak. It didn't go anywhere. <laughs> but the thing is, we're trying. We've realized how amateurish it appears that our podcast art hasn't changed since the previous iteration of this podcast it, look, two years ago. We it, know about it. It cost $1,000 to switch it. So please send us $1,000 and then we can finally switch the podcast art. I don't understand. It's, it's good on Spotify. It's good on all the apps that people listen to the podcast on, but iTunes is fucking around. So, yeah, I guess, like, today we learned that when you think of the evil finance guy, there's maybe an exception. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess what I'll, what I'll say with regards to Vanguard is if you're investing in anything, depending on your politics, maybe <laughs> you're investing in... Um, if you invest in an index fund, you might be investing in some shady things, such as, you know, military-industrial complex, fossil fuels that are destroying the planet, and all that other shit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, John Bogle and, and Vanguard are only uh, evil in the context of the wider system being evil. Um, and if you compare them to uh, something I found um, uh, is a NBC News write-up of, you know, 401ks, uh, they found an expert, and they've found multiple experts that'll say something like, over the lifetime of a 401k, because there are so many hidden fees and, and this kind of shit, 
the lifetime, the end retirement balance is about 20% lower than it should be just on the fees alone. Holy hell. So, you know, like, and again, uh, because Congress has uh, set up all these tax incentives so that everybody goes into 401ks instead of these defined benefit pensions, you know, people are just kind of getting screwed out of a giant chunk of their retirement by Wall Street fees, and uh, most people have no idea. So I do respect what John Bogle did with regards to um, uh, charging absolute minimums in fees and showing that you actually just through passive investing almost always beat any actively managed portfolio. Yeah, and that's the thing that you really need to make capitalism work. Right. Socialism. Well, yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, I think the end goal is to seize uh, excess wealth of you know billion, or for me, anyways, to seize <laughs> the. My end goal is to seize a- excess wealth of billionaires and stick it into passive investment funds, which would in turn uh, pay out dividends to um, you know either directly to people or to do social welfare programs. Great. Yeah, I like that's great. You're doing a noble thing. I encourage any of our listeners to check out Grub Stakers if you haven't. Um, it's a wonderful pod. Um, yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, Sean, do you have anything to plug? Uh, no, just uh, uh, SoundCloud, Grub Stakers, uh, Grub Stakers podcast on Patreon as well. We profile a new billionaire every week. And, uh, yeah, check me out on Twitter. Backman Jones, what do you got? Uh, I'll be at Stand Up New York. Uh, this episode's coming out tomorrow, I think, right? Uh, so uh, I'll be at Stand Up New York Thursday at 10 o'clock, uh, hosting the 10 o'clock show. Um, that's about it. I'm coming to L.A. in February. I'll plug those dates later. But that's about it for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I am selling one coin. It's a new cryptocurrency. You can uh, log on to my website and follow uh, the one coin uh, yeah. Are you selling a cryptocurrency? No. <laughs> so OneCoin was a, a scam cryptocurrency that uh, it didn't exist at all. It was just a website where you could log on and see uh, it would go up every day. <laughs> so they just <laughs> sold people, and they sold it as a pyramid scheme. So people would log onto the website and think it was going up. They stole like $4 billion doing this. Really? Yeah, it's still going. You can find people on YouTube still selling it, even after they've been indicted by the federal government. That's the best investment idea I've ever heard of. Yeah. Man, we're I think we're doing a good job and I hear a story like that and I'm like, we're doing we're not doing anything. <laughs> well, check out my new project at onecoin.com. <laughs> well, it's our new sponsor. Thank you for the new sponsor. Shout out to OneCoin for sponsoring us. We appreciate you. Um, you know, follow us on Instagram, homemybreadgmail.com. Share this podcast. We hope you had a good uh, week. Have a good week, I mean, I guess. Have a good week. Enjoy. Later, breadheads. Mm-hmm.